Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today is our pseudo wrap-up episode for Sense and Sensibility. Yes. And we have our favorite reading guest back with us, Kristen Smith. <laughs> Hi. <You're> welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. <laughs> uh, I wish we could have had you the whole time, but it just gets very complicated to have more than two people recording <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we definitely invoked your name a number of times while we were recording. <laughs> Just wanted to know if you wanted to set the record straight on anything. That was no, I enjoyed listening to all the all the uh, episodes. <laughs> oh, good. So we didn't say Kristen says this, and you're like, I never said that. <laughs> it was Pretend like months ago. Part. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this was a very fun and different experience for me reading this book because I was expecting it to just be like, oh, this is the funniest book, you know, because that's how I always think of it in my head is the funniest book. But it was a lot more complicated than I was expecting it to be, especially being like her first book that she really, you know, got published and probably had, I guess, the least amount of time to revise or whatever. And it was written in such a different style to begin with. So, yeah, I went on a journey with this book. <laughs> was not what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. I did find it a lot funnier than the other two books. Not that they weren't funny, but I felt like there was more yes. intentional comedy in this one. Yes. Although I do think Northanger Abbey had a bit of the sense and sensibility, like... Mm -hmm just I guess sensibility <laughs> I can't use that <laughs> word anymore because it means the three things in my head now <laughs> well it feels like with Northanger Abbey it was more so like the narrator giving us the quips and the jokes and yeah. then at this point at present sensibility she was kind of letting the characters more so speak yeah. to it yeah yeah I think that's Eleanor right I had all the judgments <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> which I appreciate <laughs> Yeah, but it I uh, it I guess when it's like the narrator doing it, it feels less like a character trait, you know? It's just like, oh, the narrator is writing the whole story so she can make fun of all the characters, but when a character within it is making fun of or not making fun of. I shouldn't say that about like Eleanor, poking but at like, something. You know, judging all the characters. <laughs> it feels more like a character trait, but but Kristen, you were reading along with us this time, did you? Mm -hmm. Have any different feelings this time as opposed to previous times reading the book? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so after we talked last time and I, I kept listening to you guys and finished reading the book for myself, I did get right up there to the end and I realized uh, what I hadn't thought about before is that the narrator seems to be so much on Eleanor's side, at least at face value, that I can understand why people... Uh, especially today, kind of feel like the cards are stacked against Marianne and in favor of Eleanor. So I can see why she could be a really annoying character, kind of like, almost like she's the teacher's pet in a way, you know, because the, <laughs> yeah. the narrator just seems to be like, you're right, Eleanor, you're right, Eleanor, you know, yeah. he gets that whole long, they get that whole long scene where Marianne's like, you were right all the time, Eleanor. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, that's pretty annoying, actually. So I could see why 
<laughs> why that could get on some people's nerves. So that was different for me. I hadn't seen that uh, perspective yeah. before. Yeah, I definitely, because I always feel like, I don't know, I always make these vast sweeping statements as if <laughs> <laughs> I hear it all the time. But like, I feel like I see more people identifying with Eleanor and really liking her. And I always have too, you know, but I've just never really read it so closely. And while I do think that Jane Austen was kind of like, yeah, she's the right one. There were times that I was like, maybe she's really subtly being like, but she's really not, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah, there would be comments about it. And I think even by the end, especially with mama being like, I don't even know what's going on in your head, Eleanor. And, you know, it does kind of feel like maybe at the end, but she never really comes out and says, you know, Eleanor, maybe mm -hmm. have too much sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm rethinking about like, towards the ending when I feel like they are both appealing to each other's traits that they didn't have before as much. And maybe it's just more apparent for Marianne to kind of verbally tell Eleanor that she was right all the time. Because the, really the resolution we get with Eleanor is that she's finally able to be open about her feelings, but it's more so like she's not telling them. She's just kind of showing them. Yeah. And honestly, the parts where Marianne is like, I should have been more like you are the parts that really touch me in my heart. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not like I feel like Marianne is, um, I mean, for her, it feels more like just growing up, you know, like right. she's maturing and not, you know, she, she's now got perspective on some of her actions, I guess. Whereas Eleanor feels like she's already, I mean, I feel like she could be an Aunt Ellie. She feels like she's already 26 years old and has like, given up on life <laughs> to a certain extent, but she's not, she's like 19 and in the prime of her matchmaking years I guess I don't know yeah. what, how you would say that <laughs> yeah I, I did find myself having to like remind myself that she's not as like old as an Elliot like she is a lot younger she's still a teenager yeah. so I think that gave me like once we got past like the midway of the book it really started to like allow me to give some grace to her like towards her more annoying moments in the book or like when people were kind of reaffirming her in like a maybe a little bit over the top kind of way yeah, yeah. and yeah i don't know i've been feeling lately like maybe i was way too hard on ella <laughs> <laughs> be more Same. less marianne in my life but <laughs> huh. But there was a question you asked in the first episode, Christian, you said we should come back to it at the end, oh, I don't mind which it. is, would we rather have more sense or sensibility <sighs> after reading the book? What would you say? I, I don't know. I feel like, and this kind of ties into how I feel like so far, all of these books, I feel like have like, a, to me in my head, I see like, oh, these books should be read at a certain time of your life. Um, at a certain age. And I feel like at the time I'm reading this one now, I feel like I would rather have more sensibility. And I don't know if that has to do with like being in lockdown <laughs> and having to deal <laughs> yeah. with, you know, the ways of the world in the past couple of years. But 
I just kind of like the more romantic side of Marianne and kind of like how she views the world and maybe a more naive lens and it just seems better, which I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing, but it just seems like a more kind of comfortable place to be right now. And I think maybe that's maybe what I'm looking for more is more comfort. Yeah. What about you, Kristen? Well, as long as you don't have to be all one or all the other. Of course. Um, right. <laughs> uh, I think I would still stick with sense. I don't know if it's just because I'm a chicken, but I feel like it. If you're ruled by, if you if you can keep your head in charge of your heart, um, most of the time your life tends to be easier. <laughs> Maybe not as colorful, but easier. <laughs> so, that's true. I don't know. I mean, yeah. that's that's what the way I would go. <laughs> I can see both of those. I think. I go, God, I've been really going back and forth thinking about it all day. Because, <laughs> but part of me, you know, I feel like in a modern context, like psychologically, we have decided or, you know, learned about ourselves that it is usually better to like express what you're feeling inside to the people you love so that, you know, mm-hmm. you don't bottle it all up and have some sort of like breakdown or something. <laughs> and for me, I am the type of person who refuses to suffer in silence <laughs> everyone around me to know <laughs> that I am you know angry or you know mad or happy but I mm-hmm. have felt just in the past few weeks I've been like Maya you need to not tell everybody everything about yourself the first <laughs> second you meet them because you're scaring people away <laughs> yeah so I don't know I guess like the book says we should have both senses (laughs) right (laughs) but i'm definitely more of a well i don't know i mean i've definitely had i've said it before (laughs) during these recaps but like i've been both a marianne and an eleanor and the thing about being on the sense side is it can feel lonely and you can feel judgmental of everyone because they're not because you are like, oh, I'm good. I'm keeping it all down. So, and I feel like that was Eleanor's big thing. Like, she's like, well, I can master my emotions. Why can't everybody else? And, but that I feel like left her, that's where her coldness came from. Like, because mm. she was judging everybody else's emotions. So, but then, you know, Marianne was also judging everybody too. So, yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that Marianne, like, said her judgments out loud and Eleanor kept them inside like everything else. Yeah, We got to hear what was inside her head. But true, 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 true. Say it to everybody else. I just appreciate and I did appreciate it when Marianne would be like, you know, let her bitchiness shine through because usually it was people who deserved it. And I always wanted Eleanor to express it, you know, when (laughs) the people deserved it, which she did on occasion too. Well, were there any things that you, I mean, you've only seen adaptations so far christian so Mm -hmm. but was there anything when you read it that you were like whoa i was not expecting this or i don't know if that's exactly the right way to (laughs) (laughs) the right question but like Hmm. i feel like that's the same question maybe i just asked (laughs) (laughs) maybe just like anything that was like a little bit of like a variation from what i would expect from based on my past readings I was a little bit, and I don't remember from past books if this was the case, but I was a little bit kind of surprised by how the ending was so like 
perfect for everyone. Everyone seemed to be in a good spot. Yes, I was surprised by that too, because you know, I've been saying from the beginning that I love the last chapter of this book, Mm -hmm. even before we start reading it. And I thought of it as people getting their comeuppance, because it's so hilarious the way the narrator like, you know, judges everyone or, you know, expresses what happens to everyone. Right. And it doesn't like make them look good, but it does put them all in a good place. And I was not really, I didn't realize my perception of it was so like skewed (laughs) (laughs) until I reread it this time. Until you had someone on your side about Lucy Steele and also asking the question, (laughs) why did she get a happy ending? (laughs) I still, it is a baffling to me, Lucy Steele and Robert getting together. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it wasn't my favorite part of the story. I will say that did kind of feel like it was like more of a convenience rather than like an actual like plot point in a way. But convenient to Lucy as well. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) But that was, it was pretty shocking to see like literally everyone got their perfect ending in a way, in a certain way. Like everyone, like everyone is fine. But I guess that's kind of like real life in a way. Yeah. I mean, the Dashwoods, not not the the Dashwood women, but the um, Fanny and John and Robert and Lucy were never going to be happy people. They're always going to be <laughs> wanting what's just they they don't have, you know. They're the type mm-hmm. of people who just can't be content and always are like I need this, I need this, I need this. So they're never going to be like happy, but they're in a, you know, a nice little quadrangle, I guess, <laughs> or whatever you call them <laughs> like. And Willoughby is the one person who I would say he and he almost gets the ending. Like, he's almost the last person wrapped up. Mm-hmm. But he is surprisingly well off considering how much harm he caused. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's not happy. I mean, not as happy as he would like to have been for his ultimate right. ending. I feel like maybe that's Austin's uh, realism and sense of humor kind of bumping up against the sort of the novel tropes and history that she's kind of responding to uh-huh. because if you've got your your Evelinas and your novel of sensibility and and the things that she's parodying those are so melodramatic and the endings are so melodramatic and and you know if you're a bad person then you not always but uh, I would <laughs> say that normally you probably die in a horrible way because you have to get your comeuppance and and I just don't think she can do that <laughs> I think per- personally she just can't bring herself to do that and I think I think it makes for a really interesting discussion like we're having here. Is, is that real life? I mean, are they happy, really? And does it matter if right. they're happy? Right. There and was... Can you move past your sadness to be happy even though your circumstances aren't what yeah, you had yeah. I mean, them to be? <laughs> yeah. And I think there's... What is that? There's there's a couple of phrases that are quotations that come to mind first. The, the one that came to mind when I was reading the last chapter is, hell is other people. Right, <laughs> the, the Dashwoods, they got to live with each other and with Lucy and Robert and Mrs. Ferrers and vice versa. And, you know, they got the money and everything and that gives them a certain kind of happiness. But, you know, is it, I don't know, the meeting of true minds that she talks about in other books. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was, what is it? Tragedy or comedy is tragedy in time. Plus time. Whatever that <laughs> one is, yeah. And yeah. so I kind of feel like, you know, it could have been tragic, but we have enough time that 
we get more perspective on what's going on. So. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. This book is a uh, tragedy plus time equals comedy. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> okay, well, here's another question I was wondering about. Is Sense and Sensibility a romance? Is it a love story at all? Like, is that it's in the under the guise of that people like to put Jane Austen in the bromance category. And I would say persuasion probably definitely fits in there. Maybe Pride and Prejudice for sure. But like every time there's even a romantic moment where the two people could be talking, you know, romantically to each other, Jane Austen doesn't even show us that. <laughs> She's like, right. they get together. And then this is what they're talking about, about other people, but not like there's no like romance. <laughs> And I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's just her because she's like, well, I didn't have romance, so I'm not going to write about it. But, you know, but yeah, I I was like, is this even a love story? Is this a romance? Is it a love story? I don't know. (laughs) I almost feel like in a way, especially after reading, after really thinking about it after the end, it feels like a love story between sisters, especially this book. Um, I like that. Yeah, I think she, and we see plenty of like other sister combinations in the book and other books and stories of hers, but I feel like this one is very specific about, we get to see the journey between Eleanor and Marianne and we get to see all their moments together growing and maybe butting heads. And that's why I, yeah, I, I think it's more so like, it's less about the other people and just more about them. And that's kind of like really all I cared about when I was reading. Yeah, because I mean, Marianne doesn't get with Colonel Brandon until the, like, the wrap up and it's just kind right. of a, oh this happened of course eventually and Eleanor doesn't get with Edward till the end they barely spend any time together in the book that we get to right. see you know <laughs> where it's kind of like a mystery at the end like what is so great about Edward <laughs> why do people want right. him and why are you pining for him for months and months and months <laughs> and I think there's also a lot of mention about their like these men um being there's almost like these like um they have these qualities that don't completely mesh with Eleanor and Marianne in a way. Like they kind of say like, Oh, Edward is very awkward and he doesn't talk a lot. And, and she, we have this whole entire story about how uh, Marianne is just like, not about Colonel Brandon. He's too old and it's not a great match, blah, blah, blah. And how, how he should be with Eleanor instead of Marianne. And it's just like a, maybe it was her telling us that it's not really about them. And yeah. it's about how Marianne and Eleanor fit so well together. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Kristen? I think the most romantic character in the book is Colonel Brandon, at least from my perspective, because he does the things that are fun. Now, this is probably just me. The things that are like fundamentally romantic. He doesn't just talk a good game. He doesn't hide like Eleanor and not Eleanor. Edward, I feel like, kind of hides in that mm-hmm. Yeah. underplays his romantic colonel brandon you know he serves um you know he he sacrifices he sacrifices for the the people that he loves and he helps out his friends and to me those are i mean that's what mr darcy does right he, he helps out elizabeth because he loves her and her family even though he does not like them because he loves her and colonel <laughs> brandon does the same thing so he's i think he's straight up a romantic hero the story, I think you're right, is absolutely about the sisters and about them as individuals either maturing, like you said, for Marianne, mm-hmm. or also the case for Eleanor as well, that she's maturing 
Yeah. Certainly gaining experience and coming into their own as individuals. And I think to the extent that it's romance at all as a whole, it's more of that and a man kind of romance where mm-hmm. the stories about the main character, the romantic subplot is just kind of a subplot. But the adaptations are so romantic, especially that the Ang Lee one. They're so beautiful and everybody's so beautiful in them <laughs> that I feel like it's it's very easy to, to see it as a romance. And then like you mentioned Pride and Prejudice, that's more clearly romantic. But again, it's that's only part of the book. Yeah. It's romance in the context of the whole world. Same thing with persuasion. There's romance and that's at the heart of the book for that for that book. But again, it's in the middle of this whole world where a bunch of other stuff's going on. Yeah, I think here, you guys are right, the central uh, relationship is between Marianne and Eleanor. And it's in the context of something that includes them being interested in, in men yeah. that they know. We're almost tricked by the Marianne and Willoughby relationship into being mm. like, oh, yeah, it's a love story. But then it's like, no, it's not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a like, heartbreak yeah. story. <laughs> and it's like, Almost like the way I think about it, Marianne will be like how easy it was at first and how Marianne and Eleanor would kind of like, not like directly butt heads, but Eleanor was trying to get through to Marianne and kind of lead her down a, a different path in a way. And it's almost like set up like a love story where she's trying to mm-hmm. get her to see something else that she's not seeing and going through those trials and tribulations with her instead of like, Marianne going through them with Willoughby. Yes. And what we were saying about Colonel Brandon being the romantic hero, I also just another point in his favor is that he is, he never expects Marianne to fall in love with him. He never tries Mm -hmm. to get her to fall in love with him. He actually is like, no, she's never going to, you know, like, (laughs) and even the people around her, her family, when they finally are like, yeah, she should probably get with Colonel Brandon. They don't seem to ever, like, push her into it. You know, Mm -hmm. like, three years pass and she has a revelation on her own. And, yeah, I think that that does, that that makes Colonel Brandon even more of a, like, romantic hero. Yeah. Even from a modern, you know, um, perspective. Because, like. Especially now, right? Because he's not acting entitled. He's not pushy. He's not, you know, like, I'm somehow entitled to this kind of, because I gave your sister house therefore yeah (laughs) right so okay well let's talk a little bit about lucy (laughs) (laughs) Steele. And I guess, and Eleanor, because that's one of the main things that, you know, I've always never liked Lucy Steele, (laughs) although I do feel like reading it this time, I don't think of her as much of as like the villain that I can never find any redeeming things. Not that she does have any redeeming things, but I, I feel like I'm willing to like, (sighs) And I'll be like, okay, Lucy, tell us what you want to tell us. (laughs) (laughs) And I do somewhat understand, you know, 
as a woman in the time period with not a lot of resources, like she's doing what she feels she has to do, but she is so manipulative. (laughs) (laughs) But it wouldn't have worked if Eleanor hadn't been so willing to be like, yeah, sure, I'll fall prey to your, you know. Your taunts. (laughs) (laughs) Your manipulations or whatever. Right. Even though I can see right through you. I don't understand still why Eleanor... Unless, I mean, it's because she wanted to, but why she just let Lucy make make her not tell anyone about what was going on with her. But I think we figured out that it's just because she didn't really want to tell. At least that's what I have in my head. Do, do we agree with my head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like she didn't. And it was like in a way like she didn't want to say it because she didn't necessarily want it to be like a fact. I feel like that was kind of, at least from my perspective, oh, that's a good one, one of her motivations for not saying anything about it was kind of, and I feel like Lucy played this role of maturing Eleanor rather than Marianne playing that role because Marianne's going through a lot. And I feel like she maybe didn't, like the author didn't give her the space to kind of help Eleanor mature and that it was more so Lucy helping her kind of have this like character advancement in a forcing way. her to right <laughs> i just can't even imagine being eleanor and having this like secret and then being like so heartbroken but not being able to tell anybody anything about it because i don't know it's just also like girl you're just torturing yourself <laughs> tell your sister so, so i want to i want to add on to that a little bit please because i think i definitely think that that's that's part of it but there's there's also some sort of cultural things playing in. Mm-hmm. The first would be that their society took the concept of breach of promise extremely seriously. So for Eleanor, she gave Lucy a promise. And so morally, if she wants to think of herself as a good person. She has to keep that promise. And that was, and it's a matter of honor for her. So mm-hmm. in terms of her, ethos or you know her moral compass keeping your promise at all costs no matter what that person is like no matter how you feel no matter sometimes not no matter even the consequences almost trumps everything so Mm -hmm. that's that's one thing to keep in mind culturally and then in terms of the book and the sense and sensibility my the in my book the introduction was talking a lot about Eleanor as a figure of resistance and it's resistance in a bunch of different ways, but especially in resisting against uh, devolving into the melodrama of a novel of sensibility. So while we understand and and we agree, and we've talked about this, that neither of the heroines is all sense or all sensibility. They're a combination, right? The idea of sensibility is coming out of this whole big, huge cultural mess that was going on and Mm -hmm. having to do with gender discussion and everything else. Uh, and was explicitly tied to female sensibility, was tied to illness, female weakness, and female sexuality. And so she's, uh, Eleanor, uh, as a character, is designed to resist that. And so part of the reason why she never, or very rarely, <laughs> gives into her feelings is because she's kind of resisting that construction. And I think that Austin's playing a little bit with you know, how can you have a realistic character who is likable, who is feminine, who is all these things 
that normally would be sensibility, and yet she's not this trope or caricature of sensibility that so many of the heroines of previous novels have turned into. And she, Marianne is also a figure of resistance because, for one thing, she doesn't die when she gets sick, and that's, that's <laughs> a big change from normal right. stuff. And she doesn't, she doesn't sleep with Willoughby without marrying him. That's, again, a change. So those, she's resisting as well, but in a different way. So I think that's also part of Austen's construction of Eleanor's character is that she is actively resisting. I'm not going to be that weak person who is, sorry, weak in Eleanor's mind, person right. who is, mm-hmm. who, who Lucy can manipulate and who has, gives her power over me. I'm going to take, take the high road and find strength in the fact that she can't make me do what, or feel, or at least know that I'm feeling so that's that's i think that those also come into play as to why she never talks so much yeah um, yeah despite the fact that she's hurting yeah jane austen to me is so modern even though she's mm. from regency times and i feel like she's speaking to like things that we still are you know talking about today that i yeah it's easy for me to be like, but no, your time period doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, I find this one to be the most, the least three-dimensionally drawn characters in certain ways. Like they're more like, especially all the characters surrounding Eleanor, Marianne, even Marianne to a certain extent, are just more heightened, more two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it does feel kind of like a play on like an allegory type of something. And, you know. Oh, I did. Okay, here's another thing I wrote. Are the young couple's like flirting and foibles, the equivalent of Regency reality TV, which I think we might have talked about <laughs> in today's episode, at least to like Mrs. Jennings and Sir John and basically anyone who's not directly affected because they seem to really get a kick out of everyone's <laughs> relationships. Yeah, I feel like it's uh, they're happy to look it on and see what the drama, quote unquote, of the day is and uh, I always think about like how he's so John is so open to just inviting everyone to his house and kind of like having these little parties and setting everything up. And I feel like he's such a the Pied Piper. <laughs> That's <what> you call <laughs> <Eligible>. it. <laughs> he's such a um I can't think of the word off the top of my head. Um, but he just loves to like look in on different people's lives and see it play out in front of him. Yeah, I really liked Sir John and Mrs. Jennings a lot during this reading, mm-hmm. and they were very fun. I guess I never really realized how much Sir John just loved to talk and loved to have <laughs> young people around him and how much joy mm-hmm. they get out of it. And I also love how they have no, they have none of Eleanor's scruples about, like, <laughs> like anytime Marietta's over the top, they're like, oh! she's so funny she's just like my daughter (laughs) whatever you know like they they love that and so it's just funny to me that you know that the two people i mean even mama to a certain extent like all the adults are kind of like none of them have any of that sense of like propriety or Mm -hmm. 
you know, you you need to tone it down a little bit. None of them are ever like that. <laughs> Only Eleanor in her head is like that. But like, it's just funny that she feels that way when nobody else is like judging them at all. I mean, not in a, I don't know. Am I, am I crazy to think that way? <laughs> no. No, because I was like that when I was a teenager. I like thought all the adults around me, you shouldn't talk about that stuff. Or that's not funny or everything. Mm-hmm. I thought I was much, I, I took myself, far too seriously <laughs> <laughs> and I took life far too seriously um yeah. and no but there are a lot of adults in my life where they would laugh at things that I thought were maybe not scandalous exactly but bad taste or whatever yeah. now that I'm you know as old as I am I'm like laugh where you can laugh but <laughs> <laughs> anytime you can laugh that's a good thing yeah but I did not have that perspective when I was 17. <laughs> it's so funny because Jane Austen was presumably fairly young when she was at least beginning to write this. I forget that it took her a long time to publish it. So she probably mm-hmm. had many years of perspective by the time it actually got published. But like she had such a like, you know, good or realistic view of like adults in, in comparison to kids and like how they're just way more. <laughs> they've lived so much life that they're like, oh, children (laughs) so much growing up to do (laughs) and and i think a lot of i feel like a lot of the novels of this time period are so focused like everything is always focused about the ages where like the time period where you're supposed to get married and have children and it's always supposed to be in this very young part of your life and we see a lot of these older characters like i feel like it's like they just don't like you said, take things as seriously. Like it's not that serious anymore to them because they've already lived that life. And it's more so like a way for them to kind of, I don't know what the word is. Like I'm just, it's just not a, a big deal to them anymore. Right. And that's why yeah. it's so easy for them to kind of look at it at like reality TV because everyone is taking it <laughs> so seriously. It's life or death at this point. And to them, they're <laughs> like, <Leo> Juliet. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. She's like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I love those Jennings mm-hmm. <laughs> and Sir John. One of my favorite parts is <laughs> random little parts is when Sir John is really, he's still mad at Willoughby. Well, this is something Willoughby says when he comes for the big thing. And he's like, yeah, he hasn't spoken to me for weeks, but he knew Marianne was dying. He just couldn't keep it inside. (laughs) We had to get him. (laughs) I can just picture Sir John so clearly in my head. And I also love that at the end, he's like, and Margaret finally was the right age to be (laughs) to their world of parties and dances. (laughs) Never change. (laughs) No. Were there any other... Oh, I guess we didn't really talk about... I feel like I'm like, ugh, Lucy. What is there to say? <laughs> I didn't really even talk about her except to be like, okay, fine, I'll give you some sort of respect. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> Did we have anything else to say about Lucy? I'm just kind of sad about Lucy. I mean, I enjoy hating her as a character. Mm-hmm. But like, if she was a real person, I would be kind of sad about her because she's, she's so smart, you know? And right. I would... I kind of feel bad because... She didn't have a great, I mean, she's not gentry, so she hasn't had the education that the Dashwoods have had. She won't have the kind of material prospects that they have unless she does it for herself. And so, like you were saying, I kind of, I, I see what, why she's doing what she's doing, and I, but she has no conscience. <laughs> she has no morals. She doesn't care who she steps over to do it. And so, I don't know, to, to me, that's, if she was a real person, that would just 
A, infuriating, and B, very sad. <laughs> so, I mean, she leaves yeah. her sister right. abandoned yeah. with no friends or money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To run off. He could have been Robert. so much more. He could have been so much more, but nope. Yeah. I wonder, after talking about her like this, if she was maybe kind of made to be kind of an example of why the um, the rules of that time were so just like so bad, like so restricted. <laughs> yeah, like it was just like, you know, someone who is so great and so smart, like you said, has to resort to manipulating everyone and betraying her family in a way to kind of have a livable life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, probably because I feel like Jane Austen does most of her books are about what women have to put up with in order to mm-hmm. live their lives. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this what is going like, to do to live the life you want to, you want to live. You yeah. Know? Very limited choices. You're pretty much reliant on men's money, basically right. to support you. Yeah. So, <laughs> Oh, Lucy, Lucy, Lucy. Okay. <laughs> it's funny because coming into this, I was like, this is going to be like ugh, the Lucy hate hour. And I feel like I barely spoke about Lucy the entire time. Cause I was like, more concerned about how Eleanor is reacting to Lucy than to Lucy's mm-hmm. <laughs> manipulations the whole time. Oh, one thing I did want to I did want to just um, bring up that does have to do with Lucy, and so I'll I'll stick it in here. You guys have mentioned a couple times over the course of your podcast why doesn't Edward just break it off with her? And the answer to that is in the the whole breach of promise thing. Right. She could have she could have prosecuted him for a breach of promise because um, uh-huh. once once you're engaged uh, and this is why getting engaged is such a big deal <laughs> once you're engaged <laughs> the man is i mean you're bound to each other uh, unless you know somebody sleeps around and gets pregnant and then you know then you can break it off right but <laughs> she could have sued him for breach of promise if he pulled up although technically i don't think he ever like asked her dad's permission or anything so i don't know that that would be legally binding but <laughs> i don't know i i think it would have been but okay. i don't know the law for sure so i can't definitely say to that but i'm pretty sure that that's the reason he feels so trapped is because he's, mm-hmm. i mean there's the whole moral thing for him right the whole ethical thing but there's also i think some legal ramifications that he can't get out of it and of course once you're married you can't get divorced like almost right. nobody can get divorced right. so yeah yeah, although he could have. Much of a king. If he's, he's the one with money. He could have easily gotten out of it if he wanted to. Or he could have, like, talked to Lucy at some point and been like, listen, can I just give you some money? <laughs> <laughs> I think something also to consider is, like, he's probably afraid of how manipulative she is. He doesn't. Well, I mean, maybe he does realize it, but he professes not to have realized it until after Eleanor enlightens him on her character. Right. At the end. So I wonder if he's like, in a way, is like a little bit embarrassed that he was able to be manipulated and kind of sucked into Lucy's world (laughs) and didn't want to like admit that to Eleanor, which makes him such an Eleanor in a way. (laughs) I wonder if he was attracted to her initially because she does have all that like, you know, she's kind of like his family in that way of like, Mm. I am a... You know, he's probably like his mom, which is why they (laughs) fall in love with each other so much at the end, because, you know, who did she step on to get to where she was? Right. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, even though, how old was Lucy when they got engaged? Like, 14? She's she's older than Eleanor. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah. 
is uh, she says Austin says and when we first meet them, I think Anne is like 29, 27, and Lucy's a few years, like 23, 24, maybe, something like that. Oh, okay. And they were engaged there. for six years? Or at least four, because there's a line upwards of four years, so. Oh, okay. Or, I don't know. Okay. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, so she definitely could have already been. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> if she was that young, maybe she wasn't showing the signs of being so manipulative at the time. But... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But yeah, um, I know. I'll just, but, I'll... Know, Anne is so nice and charming to me. There <laughs> <laughs> to Lucy. I just love her and her. Anne's a doofus. Yeah, but that's kind of like makes me love her a but little she's more. Not mean, yeah. right? And it might be just because she's so juxtaposed to Lucy and how like how Lucy is portrayed, and maybe that's why. But I mean, all just to say that I never really feel bad for Edward <laughs> that he's engaged <laughs> to Lucy. I always feel bad for Eleanor that she's sad about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel bad for Edward. I feel like <sighs> I want to slap no. him across the face. <laughs> <laughs> also, one of the big mysteries of the book, besides Lucy and Robert getting together, but you know, I can maybe see. Lucy using her wiles to, mm-hmm. you know, manipulate him. But oh, like sure. Eleanor and Edward falling in love in the first place, <laughs> we don't get to see any of it. And right. it is kind of a mystery to me. Like, what, how did that happen? Like, what were the exact circumstances of you guys falling in love? Because it doesn't really talk about that at all. Mm-hmm. just that people have noticed that they're spending a lot of time together and seem to enjoy each other's company <laughs> no i don't know no, i just <laughs> i right. feel like maybe we don't see it happen so who knows <laughs> right i feel like edward is i almost feel like eleanor has this like secret like dom complex where she wants to kind of be the one the more domineering personality and like would rather have someone to quote-unquote control than what most of the men of her day were probably like, which was very controlling. And so I feel like it was in a way for her to maybe find her own freedom because he's not really going to be that kind of man who is going to be very controlling. Yeah, maybe I'm reading I too much into it. I can see that. I can see that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Edward was, I mean, I don't know. If maybe it's just my interpretation, but I was definitely being struck by his moods, his melancholy, and obviously there's reasons, but it definitely felt like from a modern perspective, like a, like a depression type of, mm-hmm. you know, he's so like, I mean, he's definitely awkward socially and, but I feel like it's more of a, like, I don't know. I feel like it's an emotional type of a thing. Like mm-hmm. he's kind of like Eleanor, you know, in that like <laughs> he doesn't want to show himself to Mm -hmm. other people you know he doesn't want to it feels like i don't want the vulnerability (laughs) which Mm. is what i always felt from eleanor but i don't know maybe he's too much of a marianne deep down and he's like i will be crying at the drop of a hat if i let anybody (laughs) talk to me i don't know i have no idea but it's a little hard to tell too because they said uh she said at the end that eleanor or not eleanor (laughs) did every time edward was more open with them Mm -hmm. once Lucy was kind of off the table. Yeah. That he, they'd never seen him so happy. They'd never seen him so, mm. you know, honest, That's so forthright, you know. 
Yeah, so, it's just from it's hard living to tell. a lie for so long. <laughs> yeah. No wonder he was depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening back when we were sorting Eleanor Mm -hmm. and I can't even remember what we said about her David Lynch. Oh, I think we said that she wouldn't really like David Lynch, but I just, I had a revelation (laughs) that I wrote. I think that she (laughs) likes Dune the best, but only because she read the book and she thinks that the movie is inferior. That's funny. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so she would love the new Dune, the 2022 Dune. Maybe. I don't even know if she likes the book Dune, but she likes the that one the best because she read the book. <laughs> right. She is, she's that like, there's a reference sense. point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I sat down and read the entire... I feel like if anyone was going to read the entire book of Dune and be like, hmm, interesting intellectual exercise, it would be Eleanor. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I love that. Because <laughs> after reading I the book about myself, Dune. I was like, that is a hard book to get through. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do forget about Dune, too. and But I was remembering it and thinking, oh, Eleanor, Dune, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect match. Okay. And then I just, just some little notes that I looked up today in case anyone was wondering. The new... I thought that the new Persuasion came out really soon, but it doesn't come out until July 15th. But Fire mm-hmm. Island comes out mm-hmm. June 3rd, which probably so is before this will even come out. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the next week. And it's coming out on Hulu. I mean, it, I mm-hmm. think it's going to be at the movies, but you can watch it on Hulu streaming when it comes yeah. out. So exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm excited for it. And it's been getting good good reviews. People like it. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. We're it's definitely going to read that one soon yes (laughs) i'm excited for it well Kristen, did you have any final thoughts on sense and sensibility anything that you wanted to to say in your wrap-up i mean i know i just asked this but (laughs) 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 about the whole book (laughs) no i mean thanks for inviting me to read along so that uh, i could spend some time with these people um i the more times i read it the less emotionally invested I am in their pain. It's not really what I mean to say. What I mean to say is I enjoy the book. I enjoy being with the fun characters. I enjoy loving the lovable characters. I enjoy hating the hateable characters. <laughs> and it's just fun to be in that world. And I don't feel like my my everything is caught up in whether or not the Dashwood sisters are gonna, you know, suffer forever and ever. <laughs> which, right. I, I'm glad I don't feel that way anymore. I used to feel that way. Not well, that was your inner Marianne poking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Christian, did you have any final thoughts? Yeah. Um, I just, I feel like this book is the perfect book for the two types of readers, like the ones who love to like go in and analyze every single thing and look for like the different meaning and those who like more of the surface meaning because I feel like in both ways it's a very enjoyable book and you kind of get two different experiences mm-hmm. out of it and I think that's like I'm excited maybe for the next time I read it maybe just to kind of take everything at surface value and just see like where it takes me this time yeah 
because I do, you know, at surface value, like if you look at the Lucy thing, I think that's the most apparent one. Like you hate Lucy, but like the more you think about her, you're like, maybe she's not so bad. And maybe Edward's kind of the worst. And at least in my <laughs> opinion, but I feel like it's just a, a great book in any way you read it. And I feel like it appeals to a lot of different people, whether they yeah. think so or not. Totally mm-hmm. agree. I feel like I normally probably read it more surface level mm-hmm. because it's a lot funnier to me that way. And, you know, I like, I love to mm-hmm. listen to books, which it's easier to read things surface level when you're listening <laughs> just because, you know, it keeps going and you just, you can't go mm-hmm. back as easily. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I have read this like from a, you know, investigative thing before mm-hmm. back in college, but not for a really long time and not since I became like a big Jane Austen lover. And so it was kind of a different experience for me to read it like that this time, like from a deeper level. And it definitely went through, like, I went through some crazy idea- <laughs> like feelings about <laughs> everyone, but in the end I found it incredibly enjoyable and I really liked the characters and it's fun because now I can think of everyone as either an Eleanor or Mary. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good dichotomy to think about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a new sorting schema. Yeah, we could do that for some David Lynch characters. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's a good Nothing idea. Eleanor or Mary- how much Eleanor? How much Marianne? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I'm aiming for a 50-50 split these days. But it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm aiming for that 50 50 but i'm finding surprisingly after being an eleanor for so long that maybe i'm becoming more of marianne which is very interesting yeah i would say for everyone who's an eleanor out there don't be afraid to sh- let your inner marianne shine. <laughs> <laughs> let the dramatics through i mean i'm not saying you have to weep at everything but you know don't be afraid to don't feel like right. you have to keep it held in right that's the things that bother me the most. I mean, not bother me, but I felt like Eleanor, you know, when she was like, you know, feeling like I've got to hold all my feelings push down, push it down. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure your moms want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they always want to know. They always want to know. Well, I'm so happy that you came and did this wrap up with us and the mid. I call it mid. I was thinking of it as mid credits, but that's wrong to <laughs> mid read check in because we've we loved having you for Northanger Abbey and Persuasion, and it would have been cool to have you for this whole thing. But I'm glad that we get to talk to you for this as well, uh, Kristen. Me too. Thank you yeah, so absolutely. much for having me. I love these. I love coming on here and talking about them with you. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to wrap up this one because we're not doing any of the normal stuff. <laughs> well, since since you kind of have only done the midway and the wrap up, do you have any like sort of any recommendations or things you're enjoying right now? Yeah, any yeah. sort of film or TV or books? That's for you, Kristen. That was for me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. We're out of recommendations, so if you've got any. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, speaking of a kind of a Marianne kind of an Eleanor trying to embrace more Marianne. Um, I just finished a book called Joyful, which is kind of a self-help psychology book. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but the idea is that um, there are certain kind of principles 
that help create joy in our lives. And so if you not embrace the principles, but if you try to increase these principles in your life, then uh, you may have a more joyful existence. So for example, she had 10 because of course that's the way books work, right? It's like seven or 10, it's 10. It's 10. So one of them was abundance. So the principle of abundance and she was arguing that things that are in abundance make us feel joyful. So things like confetti, little polka dots, you go into a candy store and there's like thousands and thousands of candy, all mm-hmm. different colors and stuff that makes you feel joyful. And so kind of her ultimate goal is to say, you know, bring these things into your life to increase joy in your life. So if you're decorating your room or whatever, you can put polka dots on the wall or, you know, that kind of thing. Another one is the transcendence. So that's the idea of going upward and things that float bring joy to life. And so anyway, I was reading through the book and I'm like, oh, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. <laughs> it just made me very aware of how a lot of things in my house life, mm-hmm. fashion choices, uh, are very... <laughs> non-colorful, non-polka dot, non, you know, out there in front of everybody. Very Eleanor clothes, right? That's, that's how I dress. It's like Eleanor, so to speak. Uh, so, yeah, joyful for embracing your, your inner Marianne and manifesting her in your life. Uh, the the is um, Ingrid Fatale Lee. I'll have to check that one out. That sounds cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Good recommendation. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I definitely, I'm not much of a Marianne type dresser, but then I will go through phases where I'm like, I just feel like I'm I'm in color in my life, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I want to paint my walls. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. I'll definitely have to check that one out. That sounds really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just liked how it reminded me, oh yeah, there's a whole lot more going on in the world that I could be paying attention to. To be more joyful. Yeah. Sometimes you have to really look for it. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. <laughs> really have to hammer it down. <laughs> uh, especially these days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, okay. Well, that was great. Thank you so much. I'm guessing this is probably going to be its own episode just because we talked for a good <laughs> hour or so. So we'll probably have this come out before the check in. Yes. And then we'll just do the check in separately. And we'll have to have you on for like, you know, a movie or something fun. fun. (laughs) That'd be fun. You don't have to read a whole entire book. (laughs) (laughs) That would be fun. Definitely. Anytime. Okay, perfect. Well, if you want to get in contact with us before our check-in. Yes, you can email us at (laughs) mannersandmadness at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersandmadnesspod. Or you can leave a one-minute voicemail on our website at mannersandmadness.com. Yep, and we hope that you will. We'd love to hear from you. Even if, you know, you don't get it in before this check-in, we'll do another check-in, and we will love to hear your thoughts then. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you again, Kristen. We love having you whenever we can. Yep. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. <Bye. laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>